Matthew 4, verse 23 to the chapter 5, verse 2. So Jesus went throughout Galilee, teaching in their synagogues, proclaiming the good news of the kingdom and healing every disease and sickness among the people. News about him spread all over Syria and people brought to him all who were ill with various diseases, those suffering severe pain, the demon-possessed, those having seizures, and the paralyzed, and he healed them. Large crowds from Galilee, the Decapolis, Jerusalem, Judea, and the region across the Jordan followed him. Now, when Jesus saw the crowds, he went up on a mountainside and sat down. His disciples came to him, and he began to teach them. Uh, we're, we're starting into a new series this morning uh, called Life Together, and really it's a, it's a teaching series uh, looking at some of this key teaching of, of Jesus in what's typically been called the Sermon on the Mount. It's three chapters in the Gospel of Matthew where Jesus uh, delivers this uh, huge, significant teaching to his disciples. And so we're going to be taking our time, we're going to be doing a deep dive together um, every Sunday between now and Easter looking at these really key ways that we live life together and the ways that he calls us to reflect the kingdom of God in our, in our place and in our time. Um, but today is kind of like, a, I suppose, an intro just to get our bit of context and just to try and figure out uh, some of the, uh, what's going on in the life of Jesus so that when we're reading uh, other, the, other teachings, we know what he's doing and, and where it all comes together. So um, what we're going to see today, we're going to see two key points in today's um, teaching. The first is that we see how Jesus <coughs> creates his people, and the second thing we'll see is how Jesus shapes his people. Okay, super, super simple, how he creates them and how he shapes them. Um, first of all, how does Jesus create his people? And as I mentioned, this, this new teaching series, the, the emphasis is on life together. And so how does Jesus go about making this, this group of people? We're more than just a fan club or, you know, like a common interest group. Um, it's something that actually, we are who we are because Jesus has made us who we are. It's him that does it. Um, and so how does he go about doing that? Um, well... <coughs> Uh, let's, let's just see, first of all, what's going on in the life of Jesus up until this moment to give us a bit of, bit of context. Um, this is, if you're reading Matthew's Gospel, the first major block of teaching that we hear from Jesus. Matthew sort of puts in uh, significant chunks, and they last often for chapters at a time. And so this is the first of those. What's happened before this moment? Well, Jesus um, has, has been born. Um, he grew up in relative obscurity. We don't know much about Jesus as a 14-year-old as a or as a 20-year-old. So the gap between really from, from, from when he was born and all the amazing stuff that happened then uh, through to his introduction as a 30-year-old man-ish in ministry, we don't really know a lot, a lot about. Um, but but uh, here, here he comes. He's been announced by John the Baptist. Something significant is going to happen, says John the Baptist. Uh, the action really starts to get going. And so John is preparing the people, and then Jesus arrives on the scene, and Jesus comes for baptism, and, and he's baptized by John. And as he's baptized, he hears this voice from heaven when God the Father says to the Son, this is my Son, with whom I am well pleased. And at that moment, the Holy Spirit descends upon Jesus. He fills Jesus beyond measure, uh, commissioning him for mission to serve God in this unique way as the Messiah. And then full of the Holy Spirit, it says in chapter 4, he's led into the wilderness to do battle with the devil, which he succeeds and he wins. 
And it says then, as like a conclusion to that section in chapter 4, verse 17, from that time on, it says, Jesus began to preach, saying, repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. That's the headline of his teaching. Repent, the kingdom of heaven is at hand. The kingdom of God, in other words, is near, it's coming, it's here, it's sort of breaking in, it's among you. The reign of God has come, it is, it is displacing the kingdoms of, 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 of the world, the kingdoms of darkness, the kingdoms of mess, of oppression, of sin, uh, of sickness. The kingdom of God is coming and pushing all that out the way. And so come and be open to the kingdom. I've, I've come to tell you how to get in, I've come to provide the way. The kingdom of heaven is at hand. That's what Jesus was saying in, in a thousand wonderful, impactful, different ways. And so how does Jesus, as we're, as we're thinking here, create kingdom people? How does he create this new community um, of which we are a part and, and we're learning more about? Well, it says in verse 23 in our, in our text, um, uh, it says uh, in verse 23, I'm actually reading from the ESV. I'm not sure if... Maybe it's slightly different, but anyway, work with me. It says here, Jesus, in verse 23, went through uh, Galilee, teaching in their synagogues, proclaiming the gospel of the kingdom, and healing every disease and every affliction. So how does Jesus create this kingdom, people? He does it in three ways, by teaching, by proclaiming, and by healing. And we see him, first of all, teaching, in, it says, in the synagogues. Um, it seems to be his practice that Jesus would go to the, the, the center of religious worship and learning uh, to, to talk, to teach. Um, and he's most likely, isn't he, to find people who are going to be open and interested in God's word if he goes to uh, the synagogues, the, the places of Jewish worship. And so that's what he does. Every new town, he would, he would often go to the synagogue um, if they had one. And he would teach them. And he would teach them from the scriptures. And he would teach them with familiar ideas and familiar thoughts. And yet there was something totally unfamiliar with what he was saying. Something totally astonishing with what Jesus was, was saying. He taught with clarity. He taught with freshness. He taught with power. Uh, he taught with life in his words. And fast forward to the end of the Sermon on the Mount, to the end of chapter 7. And it says that the crowds were astonished at his teaching. For he was teaching them as one who had authority and not as their scribes, not as their so-called experts. Jesus displaced all of that with his words of power and life and relevance. It was amazing. And so he began in the synagogues, as we were saying, uh, and worked from there. And I suppose in history we've seen something similar as well in this phenomenon uh, known as, as, as revival, uh, you know, a great awakening, great moves of the Holy Spirit throughout history, and, and I suppose relevant for us here, um, was, I suppose the, the one that people talk about still is the one that happened in 1859 when there was a huge movement of the Spirit of God, but where did it begin? It began in the churches. It began in the prayer meeting. It began with people fasting and hungering after God and that's when God was pleased uh, to do something new and fresh and in a much greater way in a much more wonderful and one time only kind of way Jesus was doing this as he goes into the synagogues so he's teaching first of all uh, the other way that he creates people for, for his kingdom is he's proclaiming it says proclaiming the gospel of the kingdom it's a bit different to teaching uh, what is proclaiming it is announcing the good news it, it, it is like being a herald or a messenger, I suppose. Uh, we don't know if this took place as and when he was teaching in and out of the synagogues. We're not sure. Was it when he was moving from town to town? We're not sure. But he was proclaiming the kingdom of God. 
Uh, he, was, he was saying it is here, it is at hand. This is the beginning of a, an amazing work of God, Jesus would say. This is a new thing. Therefore, he says, repent, turn to God, stop sinning, receive his forgiveness. He's proclaiming the gospel of the kingdom. He's showing clearly in black and white how you come into the kingdom. He's very direct. Uh, proclamation is very forthright. He calls for a decision. He says, look, I'm not just here to give you information for you to think about, although do think about it. There is content, but I'm here to call you to respond to the message, to, to take action with what I'm telling you. He was proclaiming the gospel of the kingdom. He was teaching. And the third and final way that he creates a people in verse 23 is he was healing. He says, healing every disease and every affliction among the people. It's remarkable. Uh, when you think about it, actually, when, when you read those words. And we see every, every type of disease is sort of summarized in verse 24. It says in, in, in here in this translation, every, um, every, everyone who had various diseases and pains, those oppressed by demons, epileptics and paralytics, and he healed them. The physical, the psychological, uh, the spiritual. Jesus had power and mastery over all of it. It just says he healed them. The point is not to try and distinguish all these different types of diseases, but to say that every kind of disease, Jesus heals. He, he can heal. He could heal. He did heal. Do you know also as well, um, uh, again, sorry, I'm not, sure, I'm not sure how it comes out in, in, in the text we've read there, but, but, but it says he heals every kind of disease and every affliction. Um, the, in the Greek, it's separated every disease and every affliction. And I thought to myself, isn't this just two ways of saying the same thing? Every disease and affliction, isn't it just the same thing? But actually, when you, when you understand a little more about what those words mean, uh, you realize it's not the same thing at all. The disease is the thing itself. It's the, it's the illness. It's the thing that causes the problem. But the affliction seems to be something else. The word affliction uh, it can also mean weakness or, or vulnerability or listlessness. It, it seems to be that you've got the disease and you've got the... the th the impact that the disease causes. Um, in other words, the, 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 uh, the knock-on effects of that disease. Um, if you think of the disease as being the arrow that gets fired from a bow, the affliction is the, is the chink in the armor that lets it in and causes damage. There's a susceptibility there. That's, that explains, I think, why two people who suffer the same disease can have a very different response, a very different impact in their lives because of their affliction, the levels, and, and where it comes from. Two people may respond very differently because of their genetics or because of their background or some events in their past. But what we're seeing here is that Jesus heals that too. He not only heals your disease, but he heals your vulnerability, the weak spot in your armor, your past, whatever holds you back, whatever brings you that sickness or that problem time and time again. He heals that too. He comes to make you whole. He restores our humanness from being less than human to being fully human in his sight. That's what he's here to do. And as he does this, as he teaches and as he heals, he is saying in words and with deeds, the kingdom of heaven is at hand. This is what it looks like. This is what it feels like. This is what it is to be in the kingdom Darkness out, light in. Disease out, health in. Death out, life back. 
this is how it looks. This is what the kingdom of God is here. And, and so through his teaching and his proclaiming and, 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 his, and his healing, he is showing what it looks like. This is how he is creating a people for himself, a, a people to live together. And we can see the impact of, of all this, this amazing ministry in verse 24. It says his fame spread throughout all Syria, which is sort of, I suppose, the Romans name for that whole region in general. Um, and he kept on going, and even in verse 25, great crowds followed him from Galilee uh, and the Decapolis and from Jerusalem further south and Judea and even from beyond the Jordan, you know, east of the Jordan River. Fame spreading, crowds following, influence growing, impact deepening. That's what he does. And today, did you know that Jesus is still doing that same ministry? He didn't stop when he went up to heaven, done his job, that's it. Jesus is still in the business of creating kingdom people. He's still teaching, he's still proclaiming, he's still healing. How does he do that? He does it by his Holy Spirit through the church. It's the same ministry. He teaches by his word through the church as we gather, almost like what we're doing now. In fact, exactly like what we're doing now. We're opening the Bible, we're hearing the voice of, of God, the, the teaching of Jesus. And he is instructing us through that. And when he says at the end of the Gospel of Matthew to the church, he says, go and make disciples of all nations. Teach them to obey all that I've commanded you to do. He expects his teaching to continue through the church. And that's why, of course, Sundays are so key for us here at Foundation and, and, and for you too. Jesus is teaching his people. He is with his people when we gather. Uh, and also as we, as we roll into... Uh, community groups, uh, he will be teaching us. Uh, 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 in our homes, he is teaching us. Uh, uh, as you open the Bible and read it yourself, he is teaching you. That's what he's doing. Not only that, he's proclaiming, and, and he continues to proclaim through the church, whether we call it outreach or evangelism or come and see or, or whatever it happens to be. He is announcing the gospel through his people. Of course, there's overlap with teaching. Every time we teach, we're also announcing the good news. We're saying, Jesus died, Jesus rose, he gave us new life, turn to him, trust him, you will be forgiven, you will be freed, you'll have new life and new power. We say that every Sunday. We sing it, we enjoy it. He's proclaiming the gospel to us. And he's also healing through the church. Uh, if we take healing, certainly here, to be showing the kingdom, the signs of the presence of the kingdom. If we're saying that healing happens when the kingdom of God is coming and is among us, then here at Foundation Church, I think we are compelled to ask and to pray and to humbly expect healing to happen among us. Yes, physical healing, as well as psychological, spiritual healing. All the forms that we see here summarized in these verses. And also the affliction that we talk about, the underlying, the chink in the armor, the weakness and vulnerability, all of that stuff, Jesus is still in the process of healing today. And he will do it. And don't forget, it's him that's healing. It's not us that's healing. And so when we're praying for healing for others, we're praying, Jesus, will you heal this person? We're not praying, Lord, may my prayers heal that person or may my powers heal that. No, no, no. It's him. It's always been him. It's only him. And at the very least, that takes the pressure off of you, feeling like you have to say the right words in the right combination or with the right intensity. Yes, we pray good prayers and yes, we pray with faith and with passion and all the rest of it, but it's Jesus that heals people. Don't forget that. 
Sudden, sometimes healing is, is, is sudden, there and then, in the moment, in answer to direct prayer. We, we want that. Thank you, Lord. Sometimes it happens and it's a total healing, a complete healing. Sometimes it's a gradual healing. It takes place over time. Sometimes it happens with the laying on of hands through prayer ministry. Sometimes it doesn't happen like that. Sometimes it's just one day you wake up and you realize, hmm, I haven't had that for a while. I'm stronger than I used to be. I'm improved. I've moved on. Those things are no longer dragging me down. Those hurts are no longer dominating. Sometimes it's like that too. That's how healing seems to work. And you can go back onto our podcast or the website and there's, there's other talks from the past about the subject of healing, especially when we've looked through the Gospel of Mark and, and various other sections of the Bible. Um, so at church, what do we do? We humbly anticipate healing as a foretaste of the, the coming kingdom. And if you're here, and, and you hear it rather, if you hear of a need, let me just encourage you, if you're, if you're, particularly if you're a, relative, a regular here, if you hear of a need and someone's sharing with you either over coffee or in your community group of, of some need for healing, either in psychological, spiritual, physical sense, just pray for them and, and do it there and then. Um, pray that Jesus will heal them and pray with faith that he, he's still in the business of healing people. And, and, and uh, does it mean that everyone who you pray for is going to be healed instantly, miraculously? No, not necessarily. But the more you pray and the more that, that faith is generated in us, the more healing we will see. That's, that's how it is. Uh, it works. Jesus is still healing. It's not us, as I say. It's him. So let's pray. And I, I just love it when, when I see, particularly after church, after a Sunday just people coming together, sharing, and, and uh, people praying, and sometimes a, a hand on the shoulder or something like that. You know, there's this prayer for one another, for healing, and I love that. And so let's, you know, let's encourage one another. Let's do that more. Um, and if, you, if you're chatting, as I say, don't wait and say, I'll pray for you this week. You might do, and that's great. Pray there and then. Do it. Strike while the iron's hot. Lord, Lord, give us faith in Jesus' name. Right. Um, he creates people through those three things, through teaching, proclaiming, and healing. And we've seen here, haven't we, the, the crowds, the masses. But let's move on to the second point then, um, how Jesus shapes his people. Um, I, I, maybe, particularly in the, you know, today with the sort of celebrity pastor phenomenon, um, we get it a bit here, but not so much as over in the, over in the States, unfortunately, the U.S., uh, but the celebrity pastor thing. And, and you just might think that if you've got such... Um, influence and so many people coming to you, just stay there. Just sit in that groove and just keep, because they keep coming. Build yourself a platform. But Jesus doesn't do that. Do you notice what he does? He actually sort of seems to say, I think, in effect, that's just the beginning. That's, that's not the thing itself. That's the beginning. Um, where do we get that from? Well, verses 1 and 2 from chapter 5, it says, seeing the crowds, <coughs> pardon me, seeing the crowds, he went up on the mountain Why did Jesus go up on the mountain? Because he was really going great. Um, amazing ministry. Why did he go up on the mountain at that moment? What was he doing up there? Had he, had he gone to escape the madness of the crowds and just to have some chill time? Maybe just a nice long weekend up Mount Sinai or whatever hill it was. It was, it was, it was in probably a hill in Judea somewhere. Maybe he was resting, maybe he was relaxing a little bit, but it says there that he sat down. He went up on the mountain, and when he sat down, his disciples came to him. You know, sitting down is not just a comment on him chilling out, it's a comment on him 
assuming the posture of a rabbi. Uh, rabbis and teachers of religious law in those days would have sat down um, and others possibly would have stood up, actually, gathered around. The great teacher is about to teach. And that's what we see here. He's sitting down to teach his disciples. And it says his disciples came to them and he opened his mouth and taught them. He's starting to shape this people. Um, who are these disciples? We must ask ourselves, because that really does influence then how we read the rest of the Sermon on the Mount for the next couple of months. Who are these disciples? Well, it's not really the, the 12 disciples, the 12 apostles, because according to Matthew, we've only got four so far, Peter, Andrew, James, and John, and, and they've just been sort of called and commissioned by Jesus uh, in, in, in chapter four. Um, but who, who are these other disciples? Who are the disciples? Are just the four of them? Well, we read there's crowds that are there at the end of the sermon, so we've no idea. Well, one Bible scholar, an expert called D.A. Carson, said that a, a disciple, in this context here, a disciple is anyone who attaches themselves to Jesus, anyone who wants to follow him. Um, these are the people that Jesus is gathering together and instructing. And so when he goes up onto the mountain... He is effectively drawing disciples out from among the crowd. The crowd are amazed at what Jesus has done. They've maybe experienced some of his saving power. It's been awesome. But Jesus is taking a step back and saying to his disciples, those who really want to follow him, come to me. Here I am. Follow me. I'll lead you. I'll show you, I'll show you how to live. I'll form you into my people. And so in the Sermon on the Mount, that's what we see. He is instructing us how to live as his people. He is taking effectively a step back from the crowds and say, come to me, my disciples. And he opened his mouth, it says, and he taught them. He's shaping them. Um, <clears throat> and I think, I think it stands to reason, doesn't it? Because the crowds here have heard the stories, and, and it's, it's amazing. And they've seen, they've actually probably, many of them have seen physically the power of God at work. Uh, perhaps even they have personally experienced the power of God through healing. Uh, you know, I, I was blind and now I can see. I was uh, a paralytic and now I can walk. You know, I did have a demon, but now I've been set free. Jesus has done that. And I think Jesus would say, good, amazing. You've made a strong start. Brilliant. The power of God. But there is more. Uh, because that is just the beginning. That is just the beginning in the life of the kingdom. Now you must continue. Now you have tasted it. Now you must keep on drinking that stuff in. Now there's more for you, further in, deeper. You need to learn how to live in the kingdom. You need to learn how to show the kingdom and advance it so I can continue my ministry through you. And that's what he does through the Sermon on the Mount. And I think probably for us, um, even here this morning as well, um, for, for many people, the, the, the Christian life, uh, if you want to call it that, the Christian life for some people at least, begins with this sort of conversion experience. Not for everybody, but for a lot of people, conversion experience. Either you've been to a meeting and you felt compelled or convicted or something's happened. Maybe you've experienced even uh, the power of God in some form of healing. Often it's a momentous occasion. It's had a profound impact. And you can say, as a result of that, there is a clear before and after. You know, I didn't used to know God, and because of this thing around this time, now I do know him. And so for many people, that's how they begin a relationship with Jesus. Many, not all, but many. 
maybe even have a very profound, powerful encounter with God. And I would say, good, praise God, and we, we want more of that, Lord. We want to hear of more stories like that where people are coming to know the living and true God. Amen. But according to Jesus, that is just a starting point in your life. That is the... Um, yeah, that is the beginning, the takeoff point. There is more, because Jesus intends to bring you deeper so that you might experience more of him, more of his kingdom. You might actually push or advance his kingdom further. And I think Jesus is saying to us through this text and through this series, I'm forming a people, I'm forming a kingdom of people, a body, a flock, and I want you in it. Do you notice um, in these verses, actually, when, when Jesus is ministering and when he's busy showing the kingdom in, in words and, and deeds, do you see what people did? Uh, for example, in verse 25, it says, great crowds followed him. Or as he goes up the mountain, it says, his disciples came to him. They, they took action. There was, there was something that they did. There's something on their side of the bargain, so to speak. There was a response. They went where he went. They wanted to be where Jesus was. If it meant climbing a mountain, I'll get up the mountain. I want to hear, hear more from him. I want to learn more. I think when it comes to living as a Christian, you know, being part of the kingdom of God, we cannot be passive. Okay, it doesn't kingdom life, living together, whatever way you want to call it, enjoying Jesus. It doesn't happen passively. It doesn't happen by osmosis as if you just stand there and absorb something. Even if you have been fortunate enough to have the most profound and powerful experience of God at the start of your relationship with him, you need an active response to make sure that that was worthwhile. Because true followers of Jesus can't just coast along, waiting for him to show up at the next time and do a bit of magic, stir your heart. No, true followers of Jesus, as we're seeing here, follow him, they pursue him, they go to him. They be where he is. I wonder if that's happened to you as you start to think of this idea. Um, Maybe, maybe you feel that you have and somehow or other got stuck in the Christian life. Maybe you've never really made it past first base. You're still living off that thing that happened at the start. And the reality is there's not much more that's coming behind that. You made a strong start, perhaps, and that's great, praise God. But it's just been a down trajectory from there. You just sort of faded away. Well, I, I hope in this series, and certainly as we go forward as a church in 2023, we're going to learn together how to follow Jesus in every area of our lives. So we're not just hanging on to that one thing that may or may not have happened at the start, as amazing as that is. We're going to learn how to do life together, how to welcome Jesus uh, and obey him and love him and enjoy him in every area of our lives. And so I want you here and now whether you are a regular here or a visitor or just checking out churches in the area, I want you to take this as an opportunity to be shaped by Jesus. There is nothing more important in 2023 or however many years you have left than being shaped by Jesus. It requires active participation on your part. Yes, he's there. Yes, he's saving. Yes, he will be there every time you turn to him. But it requires you to show up, to plug in. 
And as we've been talking earlier on, there's serving opportunities, there's community groups, uh, there's Sundays. These are all on-ramps in order for you to learn how to follow Jesus, and we do that together. But do you also notice in verse 24, uh, his famous spreading, you see what the crowds are doing? They brought him all the sick, and he healed them. Those who knew Jesus or knew something of Jesus or thought well of Jesus, they brought those who were sick, those who were in need to him. And that is something also that as a church we do. We bring those that we know need Jesus to Jesus. That's your role. That's our role as a community on mission. That's what we do together. It's not because we have to, because that's a, like a difficult job you've been given from heaven and, and you've just got to get on and do it. But we do it because we can. Because we love to. Because Jesus is brilliant. And because everybody needs to know him. That's why we do it. They bring him to Jesus. Whether people, uh, you know, it's a faith blockage for them, whether it's an intellectual blockage, whether it's a physical thing that needs healed, let's say. Bring them to Jesus. Why wouldn't you? You know, you say, come and see the one who's changed my life, and maybe he can do the same for you too. Or you might say, I've experienced something of his saving power, and, and that's available for you too. Let me press you a little more if I can. Um, think, think about this, particularly if, you're, if you call yourself a follower of Jesus. When was the last time you brought a friend or someone you know to Jesus? either through initial contact with simply inviting them to an event or having a conversation with them, right through to crossing the line of faith with them and seeing them grow in faith. When was the last time you did that? I'm not saying you have to do the whole thing and you're the only one that God uses. No, we do it as a community. But when was the last time that you introduced someone to Jesus in some form or other? Well, this series, again, in the Sermon on the Mount is a great opportunity to hear Jesus teaching clearly, to hear him proclaim the kingdom, and to experience something of his healing power among us. So let me challenge you as we close out. This is a great opportunity. So I want to make you, uh, uh, well, rather, I want to challenge you, and I want you to make it your target this year, particularly through this teaching series. have got a few months. To bring someone to Jesus who doesn't yet know him. Can you do that? Do you have, do you have friends or people you know at work? One or two. And we will work hard behind the scenes to make church as welcoming and as accessible and as you know, non-weird non as possible. I mean, there's going to be a level of weirdness. Let's get that out of the way. It's just going to be weird because this church is a different world to what our unbelieving friends exist in. So we say weird things and, and we do weird things. We just have to make sure that's not a, a blockage or a stumbling block. We have to understand that's what we do. But, you know, we overcome weirdness with love, right? And with hospitality and with service. You know, we're, we're going to have a church lunch next Sunday. We're going to try and do this once a month as well, more regularly. Again, just a wonderful point for you, for you to bring uh, friends and family along to. Let's close out. Jesus creates his people and he shapes his people. Um, and this is what he is doing among us here at Foundation Church. And this is what he will do more and more as we listen to his voice over these next few weeks and as we um, really apply that to our, our, our lives and, and build our community on that. And so it's my hope, it's my prayer, 
um, that you personally will experience that over the next few weeks. Let's pray. Let's come to Jesus in prayer. Let's pray. Let's stand up, actually. Let's, let's stand. Sometimes shifting the position just helps change gear. Let's come to Jesus in prayer. He's with us, uh, with his Holy Spirit. Um, so we're not ascending a mountain. He's here already with us. And, and, and if you are a believer in Jesus, he is actually in you. You don't have far to go. Uh, but sometimes we need to be reminded of that and, and we need to just give ourselves to listening to him afresh. So let's, um, let's, let's give ourselves a few moments to reflect on that and then we'll pray and we'll continue to respond in, in worship.